It's good to be back with you. Now, I've already been asked, are you preaching a 100-word sermon today? And I want to set the record straight. That's the sermon title. That's not a guarantee of how long I'll be talking. But I do want to begin by asking you a question. And it revolves around this idea of a hundred words. If somebody tried to write the story of your life in one hundred words, what would it say? A hundred words. That's all. What would be the really big things in your life? The things that are worth telling. The things that make you, you. Now, I'm guessing that there may be some of you in the room who have never read the books of First and Second Kings, and that's okay, I understand. But God put it on the heart of the writer of those two books to tell the story of every king of Israel and every king of Judah. And most of them are very short, probably only a hundred words. And that's how they tell us who those kings are, and what they did. And as you flip through the pages of those two books, you go from king to king, stretching over hundreds of years, until you come to Second Kings chapter 18. And that's where you meet King Hezekiah. Now, I've always liked Hezekiah. I knew that he was a good and a godly king, but I was... Shocked, honestly, when I came to chapter 18, there was so much that was crammed into these first eight verses. This is Hezekiah's life story. And what blessed my heart was that the big thing in Hezekiah's life wasn't the battles he fought, or the cities he built, or the books he wrote. The big thing, the thing that really stood out, the thing that was worth the telling, was the fact that Hezekiah loved God and he lived for God. And as I uh, dug into these verses, I realized that Hezekiah's life was a guide and an encouragement for us. And as we go through these uh, few verses together, I want you to see six things in Hezekiah's life that can help us as we try to live godly lives ourselves. And here's the first thing. Hezekiah stood out in an ungodly generation. And I'm uh, I'm reading today out of the NIV. I hope that's not too confusing for you. So I'll turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. And I want you to read verse 1 with me. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And it's easy for us to run past this verse. Uh, These are places you've never seen, people you've probably never heard of. And you want to skip over this and you want to get right to the meat. But there's meat here Two. This is the background. This is the backstory, And you can't really understand the rest of what's happening in Hezekiah's life until you see his 
backstory. And so we, uh, we set the stage. These are the years of the divided kingdom. You remember how uh, God chose David to be king over all Israel, and then his son Solomon took the throne. But after Solomon died, the kingdom split. The ten tribes that were in the north broke away, and they chose a king of their own. Only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, remain loyal to David's line. And so you have these two kingdoms that are existing side by side, uh, different uh, kings, uh, different uh, destinies. And uh, these, uh, this, this first verse tells us exactly where Hezekiah's story fits in the timeline of these two kingdoms. Hezekiah was king in the southern kingdom. Okay, that's the kingdom of Judah that was loyal to David's line. And he took the throne while Hosea was reigning in the north. And the reason that's important is because uh, Hosea was actually the last king in the northern kingdom. God judged the northern kingdom for their sins. And he raised up the Assyrians, uh, the biggest bully on the block, and the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern kingdom, destroyed the northern kingdom for their sins. That's what was happening in the north. Okay, what was happening in the south? Well, we're told that Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz. And that's an important fact too. Ahaz was an evil king. You can read his story. The writer of First uh, and Second Kings tells us his story too. Uh, he worshipped idols. And uh, it's hard to believe, but he even sacrificed one of his own children to a pagan god. And so when, Hez, uh, when Ahaz died, Hezekiah took the throne, and that's all he had ever known. His entire life was surrounded by this sin, this cloud of sin. Uh, his own country, uh, his neighbors, even the house where he grew up, steeped in sin. And when the time came for the crown to rest on his head, he had a choice to make. Would things stay the same or would he stand out as something different? Would he stand out as a godly man? And see, that's the choice that every believer has to make. Every believer, everywhere, you and I included, will we stand out? See, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know that we're in the midst of a culture war. Christians are under attack. Christian values are under attack. The world is pushing and pressing against us every single day on every issue that you can think of. That's the reality. And, and I have a confession to make. I, I read the headlines too. I watch the TV news. And I get discouraged. I want to throw my hands up. But I want to remind you and me of something that Jesus said. He said, You are the light of the world. Whenever there's darkness, listen, especially when there's darkness, you 
and I are to be light. We are to shine. We are to stand out and point the way to God. Live in a way that pleases God. Speak the truth of God. Show the love of God. The truth is, the lost may never pick up a Bible or walk through the doors of a church, but if you'll stand out, if you'll let your light shine, they'll see Jesus in you. So if you and I want to live a godly life, the first thing is, we have to stand out. Here's the second thing that I noticed as I was reading Hezekiah's story. It's interesting. His youth didn't matter. His youth didn't matter. Looking at our text again, verse 2. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Um, how many of you, let me see, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever run a country? Anyone at all? Anybody up in the balcony, maybe? Yeah, neither have I. But here's Hezekiah. He's 25 years old, and that's the responsibility that God is placing on his shoulders. Leading the people of God. And he's expected to lead them wisely and faithfully. And I'm sure it would have been easy for Hezekiah to say, Look, God, this is really a job for somebody else. Why don't you get somebody older, somebody wiser, somebody who knows a little bit about running a country? But he didn't. You know why? Hezekiah knew this was the job that was God-given. This was his job given by God. And, you know, you think back, all of those Bible stories that you grew up with, how many of those characters uh, were young? I mean, you think of uh, Samuel the prophet. Do you remember the story of how he was called? He was just a boy. Uh, there's David, who was a teenager when he was anointed king over Israel. Daniel was a teenager when he was captured by the Babylonians and carried off to Babylonia as a prisoner of war. And even in the midst of all of that, he remained faithful and true to the law of God. And then in the New Testament, there's Timothy. You remember that uh, Timothy was uh, Paul's protege. He was uh, pastoring a church in Ephesus, but Timothy was young. And he lacked confidence. And so Paul, who was a friend and a mentor, wrote a letter to Timothy. And here's one of the things that he said. If you want to read along in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. What he's saying is, Timothy, you may be young, but you're where God wants you to be. And you're doing what God wants you to do. 
I want you to stand out, Timothy. I want you to shine your light right where you are. I want your life, Timothy, to have gospel impact. You know, I, I look around the room. I, I see teenagers. I've seen little ones running around. Uh, boys, girls, teenagers, college and career. You know, this verse is really for you. Don't be ashamed of your age. Let your light shine for Jesus. If God is calling you, don't try to tell God He's made a mistake. I said a few weeks ago, whoever God qualifies, whoever God calls, God qualifies, right? Your job is to be faithful. Let your light shine and let God take care of the rest. So if we're going to live a godly life like Hezekiah, we have to shine out. We have to uh, live in a way that, that we're being faithful and honest, not making excuses. Young or old, know that God is working through you. Then here's the, the next thing as I uh, work my way through the text. Uh, Hezekiah did what was right. He did what was right. I want to read verse 3. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And I looked around at uh, different translations to get a better idea of what this means. And here's what I found. He did what was right. He did what was pleasing. He did what the Lord approved of. And the word in, uh, in Hebrew literally means something that's straight, something that's level. So let me put it like this. Hezekiah was following God's ways. He was walking straight <laughs> with God. And I, uh, I, I want to stop and offer a thought here. And Believe me, this isn't rocket science, but sometimes uh, it's easy for us to forget the obvious things. To follow God's ways, we have to know God's ways. To follow God's ways, we have to know God's ways. There's a connection between living right and knowing God's ways. And that means we have to know His Word. That's where God speaks. That's where God reveals Himself. That's where God teaches us what's right and what's wrong. I did a, a Google search and I pulled up a couple of headlines. Listen to this one. Biblical illiteracy in U.S. at crisis point, says Bible expert. And here's something uh, that was written by Dr. Al Mohler from one of the Southern Baptist seminaries. The scandal, the scandal of biblical illiteracy. Headlines like those make me think the people of God are in trouble. We don't really know God's Word, and we don't know it because we don't take the time to read it. And I want you to understand that the psalmist got it. The psalmist understood. He knew that knowing God's Word was really the key to godly living. Reading it, studying it, uh, savoring it. 
Psalm 119. If you've never read Psalm 119, sit down and read it from beginning to end. The psalmist loved, loved the Word of God. And I've got a few verses here out of Psalm 119 that I want to share with you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. See, reading your Bible isn't just a good idea. Reading your Bible isn't just one of those things you're supposed to do as a Christian. This is how God speaks. This is how God opens your eyes to spiritual truth. This is how we survive all of the sin and the hardships and the hurt we face in this life. This is how we live victoriously day by day. We have to begin looking at God's Word like it's life-giving, because it is. We have to begin looking at God's Word like it's the air we breathe. Listen to what Moses said to the Israelites over 3,000 years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 47. He's speaking here of, of the word that God has delivered to His people. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. These are God's words. God's words given to us, faithfully written, faithfully preserved through the years. Men died to translate this into English so you and I could have it and lay it on our laps and open it up and read it for ourselves. We need to, to love it and read it and read it with a, an excitement and a passion knowing that God speaks through these pages. And if you read God's words, then you'll know His will and you'll experience His presence and you'll begin walking in His power. Like Hezekiah, you'll live in a way that's right. And you'll please God. So let God take the words off the page. And let Him plant them in your heart. Study His Word. Commit it to memory. and Let them become a part of you. Touching every part of your life. Shaping who you are, the things you say and do, your thoughts, even the desires of your heart, all of them lining up that straight path following the will of God. When you get your heart right, everything else will follow. So Hezekiah did what was right. How? By drawing close to God through His Word. And then number four, Number four, I think. Are we up to four? <laughs> okay. 
You lose count up here. <laughs> he removed everything that compromised or diluted his testimony. All right, I want to read uh, verse 4. and There's some stuff in here I want to explain. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. You remember how God gave the promised land to His people. And so they... uh, crossed the Jordan River, they entered into the land, and they conquered it. But from the moment they set foot on the holy ground of the holy land, there was trouble. They struggled with idol worship. The high places were altars that were usually on hilltops. And that's where uh, the people offered their sacrifices to Baal. The sacred stones were probably images of Baal. And the Asherah poles were either trees or wooden poles. We don't know which. But uh, that's how people would worship Baal's wife, Asherah. Baal and Asherah were fertility gods. The Canaanites believed that Baal was the god of the windstorm, so he would bring the rain. And then Asherah would make sure that the crops were productive and fruitful. And unfortunately, when the Israelites came into the land, they began following in the footsteps of the Canaanites. But not Hezekiah. Hezekiah went throughout the country and he destroyed the high places. He smashed every sacred stone and he chopped down the Asherah poles. Those things had no place in the kingdom of God. Those things had no place in the lives of the people of God. The people of God were devoted to God. (laughs) And so he removed every idol. And that should be true for us, too. We don't have high places. Not that I've seen. We encounter sin, don't we? We're the people of God. We belong to God. And sin has no place in our lives. Paul talked about this in the book of Romans. He talked a lot about sin and redemption. Romans chapter 6. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Paul says, as believers, we live for God. 
And we offer the parts of our body to Him, to righteousness. And that's why Hezekiah, clean house. And as New Testament believers, you and I should clean house too. Our lives should be holy. Our lives should be righteous before God. But you know, the thing that really caught my eye was the bronze snake. You might remember the story uh, when the people were in the desert. There were poisonous snakes that began biting the people. And so God commanded Moses to build this snake out of bronze. And he set it up in the center of their camp. And he said, if anyone is bitten by a snake, he can look up at the bronze snake and he'll be healed. But years later, the people took God's good idea and they began twisting it. They actually began worshipping it. And so, Hezekiah was cleaning house and he took the bronze snake and he broke it into pieces so it wouldn't be abused. And it's a good reminder to us that even good things can be misused. Even good things can keep us from living effectively and victoriously and from fulfilling the plan that God has for us. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You may know this verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the writer of Hebrews says, your, your life is like a race. You're running in a race. And you need to throw off anything that's weighting you down. Throw off the sin, but anything else that's wrapped around your legs, that's slowing you down, you've got to throw that out too. And if we're honest, we know exactly what those things are in our life. I don't have to ask you. As I was reading those verses, it popped into your head. You know what good thing in your life is uh, taking up your time, dampening your enthusiasm uh, for the work of God, taking your eyes off Jesus. You know what that thing is. The question is, Are we willing to throw that thing off? If we're going to put God first, we have to throw off anything that would make Him less. Are you ready to clean house like Hezekiah did? Not just the sins, but anything that would weaken our faith and make us less effective for the kingdom of God. It's a tall order. But God calls us to do big things as His people. Here's the next thing. Hezekiah trusted God. Verses 5 and 6. Hezekiah trusted God. Here's what the writer says. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. 
He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord. I'm sorry, the commands the Lord had given to Moses. And see, I love, I love how simple this is. Okay, Hezekiah trusted the Lord. You know, when the trials come, when the troubles of life come, when life gets hard and it seems like it's too much to carry, who do you trust? Hezekiah, his faith was in God and God alone. Now, how do I know that? Well, I just read it. But I can keep reading, and you can too. Uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us uh, really the, the rest of, uh, of his life story and this big event uh, where the Assyrians attacked. And uh, you've got the Assyrians uh, marching against the capital city and they come as far as Lachish which is only about 40 miles away and the Assyrians send a delegation to demand Hezekiah's surrender and they send a letter and this letter is uh, sarcastic and smug and prideful and it's insulting to God and so when Hezekiah receives this letter he does two things. Number one, he sends his top officials to Isaiah the prophet, and he says, will you please pray for us? And then number two, Hezekiah himself goes to the temple with the letter. He lays it out, spreads it out on the floor, and he prostrates himself in the temple, and he prays for God to rise up and to save his people. He didn't put his trust in the giant stone wall around the city. He didn't put his trust in his generals. He didn't put his trust in the fighting men. He put his trust in one place, God. And that's a struggle for us, isn't it? I mean, we, let's be honest. It can be a struggle to put our trust in God and God alone. I, I always... Uh, Think of what a great king David was. And uh, he's uh, referred to in the Bible as the man after God's own heart. Uh, He was a good king. And he was a faithful king. But there was a time in his life when he ordered his generals to go throughout the country and count the number of fighting men he had. And there were over a million men at his beck and call. A million men, can you imagine? And when David heard the number, he realized he was trusting his armies instead of trusting God. He was sinning, and he confessed his sin to God. And what about you? Where's your faith, really? When it's tough, when you're going through the hard stuff of life, Where's your faith? Do you trust yourself? Do you trust your friends? People you know? Do you trust your things? Maybe your job or your 401k? I'm here to tell you that all of those things will fail you. There's a passage out of Psalm 46 that reminds us 
There's only one life preserver. (laughs) Only one thing that you can cling to that really matters and that will save you every time. And that's God. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Listen to what he's experiencing. Though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their singing, God is our refuge. Whatever might happen in this life, God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our help. Put your trust in Him. I want to share one more thing that uh, really caught my eye as I was uh, reading this passage. What does it look like to trust the Lord? What does it look like? Well, we get a picture here of what it looks like. In uh, in verse 6, it says, He held fast to the Lord. He held fast. And it's a really amazing Hebrew word. The word is davak. So you can go home now and, and over lunch you can talk about davak. Davak. Alright? And the very th- first time we see it in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You know this verse. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife. It's the exact same word. Davak. Hezekiah clung to God. He and God were stuck together. (laughs) And you couldn't pry them apart. It makes me think of when I see my granddaughters in the morning. Uh, They'll come over first thing and, uh, and they'll come busting through the door and they'll yell, Pappy! And they'll come running over and they'll grab me <laughs> around the knees because that's as high as they can reach. But they'll grab me and they won't let go. They'll just keep hugging. And, uh, and it makes me smile every time. I can't get enough of it. And I think that's exactly what happens in our walk with God. If we're grabbing onto God like we're... Uh, giving him a big hug and not letting go, I think God smiles. Why do I say that? Well, number one, because that's absolutely the safest place we can be. Right? Clinging to the Lord. And and number two, that's where we belong. Embracing our Heavenly Father. Enjoying His presence. Fellowshipping with Him. Hezekiah trusted God. He grabbed onto God and he wouldn't let go. Is that a picture of your faith? It can be. It can be. And then here's the last thing that I want us to see together. In his many fights, Hezekiah experienced God's victory. In his many fights, He experienced God's victory. Um, I'm reading from verses 7 and 8. And the Lord was with him. He was successful. 
in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. I want to say something else that's not rocket science, okay? (laughs) We can't have victory without fighting battles. We can't have victory without fighting battles. I'm not sure where the idea came from, but there are Christians who think that we should never experience any kind of hurt or hardship in this life. Uh, If you're living for God, the only thing you'll experience is the blessing of God. That's what they say. Well, I'm I'm here to tell you that's wrong. (laughs) If you're a believer, you'll go through pain and hardship. Trust me. You'll face opposition. Trust me. You'll fight battles along the way. Look at Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good, godly king. We know that. But the Assyrians came with their armies. And they overran cities. They burned crops. They carried off thousands of prisoners. And the Philistines were a constant threat. They kept attacking the towns along the border and causing unrest. There were battles that had to be fought. But God was faithful. And He gave Hezekiah success. I think Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. So many wonderful verses to memorize. Paul is describing some of the hard things of life that we can face. Things like trouble and hardship, persecution, famine, danger, threats. And you and I may have battles just like that in our lives. But look at what he says in verses 37 and 38. No, in all these things, all these trials, all these troubles, all these hardships, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, this is where he sums it up, right? That's that's a high point. We have a promise from God that He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Whatever it is that we go through, He'll go with us every step of the way. And, and we have His conquering power working in our lives. The godly man, the godly woman, faces the fights of life knowing that God is with them in the fight and that He gives us victory. What a challenge. Will you be like Hezekiah and fight the good fight of faith, resting in God and trusting God for the victory? I want to ask you a couple of questions. The most important one is this. Do you have a 
relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Has Jesus saved you personally from sin and death and the grave? He died on the cross. He died willingly. He died lovingly. He died for you. He paid the price for your sins. And now He's calling out to you and He's inviting you to come. Will you say yes? And for those of you in the room who know Jesus, you're walking with Jesus, here's my question. Are you living a godly life? Are you following in Hezekiah's footsteps? Are you standing out? Are you trusting God? Are you cleaning out your spiritual house? Are you resting in God as you fight the good fight of faith? If you need time alone with God, He's right here. He is right here. And He invites you to come. And I invite you to come. As we stand together, I know we have a hymn of invitation. Let me pray a quick prayer. God, I uh, thank You for men of faith like Hezekiah. I thank you for their lives and for their example. And I pray that you would work in our hearts right now. Quiet us, God, so that we can hear what you're speaking to us and give us the courage, the faith to step out, God, and respond to what you're saying to us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.